Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome to another episode of Stories from the Trenches. The Sales Enablement Society podcast, where we talk to people that do what we do about how they're successfully conquering the challenges that many of us face in our uh, day-to-day interactions with the sales organizations and within the companies that we work. My guest this time is Mark Fellows, someone that I've had the privilege of working with at one point and have learned quite a bit from over the years on sales operations and sales enablement. So welcome, Mark. And would you maybe tell everybody a little bit about you and what the work you're doing now? Thanks for your welcome, Paul, and thanks for the opportunity to be on this podcast and to be able to speak to all of your members. As you've introduced me, my name is Mark Fellows. I built my career really in sales operations, both looking and working in some large corporations, uh, but most recently uh, I've joined Scandit and um, uh, I'm working as the head of sales operations in Scandit. Scandit are a software development company. We sell a software development kit that enables any smart device application to include a barcode scanning uh, function. So even before COVID and even more so now, of course, there was an increasing need for contactless interaction through the supply chain. If you think about the confirmation of the receipt of goods, ways of purchasing, but also delivering those goods as well using applications that can be accessed on a smart device. Um, those smart devices, of course, now being incredibly ubiquitous. That, that's really what, what the, um, the operation is about. And my role is, of course, being concerned with, uh, and I'll speak more about this in a moment, but really the, the five core things uh, that we are concerned with in sales operations. So lots for us to talk about, but before we get to the serious bits, I always like to have uh, the audience get a chance to, to get to know the guest on a little bit of a personal basis. So thinking back, what is the most, I'll say interesting, fashion that you've worn at one point that probably nobody would guess? Being British, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm pretty certain that no one would guess it, and I knew pretty well. Not too distant period ago, I was doing some business in Germany, and as a result of doing so, I'm now the proud owner of a proper traditional set of leather lederhosen. So uh, not not my proudest moment, I have to say, and not something that I wear regularly, but uh, yes, a surprising article of clothing uh, nonetheless. Okay, I've got to ask, are there pictures, and if so, where can we find them? Regrettably, 
there are, but large sums of money have changed hands, and they will <laughs> never see the light of day. <laughs> hey, you can always ask. All right, let's talk about sales operation and sales enablement. When you think of those two groups and how they interact at the most basic level, how do you think about that? It's quite interesting, really, because I know that there is a view that sales operations and sales enablement really sit in very different camps. I have a really, really different opinion. And I think even at its most basic level, when we think about what sales operations do, Sales operations cannot function and exist properly without sales enablement. And if I, I think through the core things that in sales operations we obsess about, we obsess about pipeline and pipeline management. We obsess about forecasting, how we make deals and how deals get approved, constantly concerned about how the compensation plan works, and the sales process itself. So all of those things, even at their most basic level, they're somewhat detailed. And being detailed means, of course, that you need to regularly train people when they join the company. You need to regularly remind people how to use your sales methodology and so on. But that's at its most basic level. Mm -hmm. But um, to be frank, Paul, I don't think you turn up to work or I do, I certainly don't, to just do the most basic job. I think right. our aspiration should be much, much bigger than that, uh, both for sales operation uh, and by virtue of that and out of necessity, sales enablement as well. You talked about sales methodology, and I think you also mentioned sales process. And it just yeah. got me thinking, do you view them differently? Are they interchangeable? And if they're not, how do you see the difference? The sales methodology should be encapsulated in sales stages that are used to manage your pipeline. And I do mean manage your pipeline. So we want to know that all of the deals we have in a pipeline are correctly recorded so that we can understand the probability, the likelihood of being able to achieve the sales goals that we have. Or if we think we're going to miss them because we don't have enough developed pipeline, we know early enough that we can do something about it. When I think about the sales process itself, it is how you navigate and work your way between those sales stages. What are the tools that you would use? Um, what are the presentations that you would give? So one is um, somewhat theoretical, but very outward focused mm -hmm. in terms of understanding the level of commitment a customer or a prospect has to be able to look, uh, do a transaction with you. And the other, the sales process, is rather internal, but of course you're using that internal collateral to represent your solution correctly when you speak to customers and prospects. Does that answer your question, Paul? It does. 
Because it's something that I've seen some, as I said, some people use the two interchangeably and, and I thought it'd be interesting to our audience to, to, you know, have that as part of the baseline. So as you said, none of us wants to be doing the most basic level stuff. So how do we evolve and what should our, you know, what should we be aspiring to get to? Let's talk about that. I think our aspirational goal really is around um, the management of those five core processes to develop insight and then to take that insight and use that as the input for what we choose to go and enable people on with one view, one purpose only, which is effectively drive sales productivity. So if, if I expand on that, maybe um, to give a very, very simple example. Mm, please. Um, if, if, we, if we were to think just about the sales stages themselves, like the standard thing sales operations people need, to touch on it, and in sales enablement, we train on those sales stages and what they mean. But actually, being able to understand uh, if we're able to shorten time in those sales stages, clearly has a major impact on sales productivity. Not least because, as a salesperson, I can manage more deals if I'm able to move them through the pipeline to closure more quickly. So that's a, a pretty virtuous thing for us. So, but we shouldn't just be concerned in sales operations with the application and the, the kind of the fidelity uh, of our deals in relation to our sales strategies. If we can understand what shortens these cycles, then of course you, you have a, a huge benefit. So by that, I mean really working with product management and product marketing. Mm -hmm. And essentially trying to understand the, the approach, the materials, and the positioning that really helps prospects understand our value, the value we're trying to sell to them. Now, again, we would analyze that using real-world examples. Effectively, what I'm talking about, Paul, is nothing complicated, really, but it does cause us to think differently about what we're doing. What I'm saying is, use data to actually uh, build a thesis of what would improve sales productivity for any particular area. And then having built that thesis, understand the enablement that would then need to take place. Mm -hmm. And having performed that enablement, we can do the thing that we really quite enjoy doing in sales operations, which is measuring stuff. We can measure stuff <laughs> and figure out whether the thesis is right, and are we really seeing an improvement in sales productivity? So I said before, sales operations cannot exist without sales enablement, mm -hmm. and in its most basic form, it can't. But in the, in, in the world I'm suggesting, it absolutely can't, because you'll notice that both sales enablement and sales operations should really be obsessed around what it takes to drive sales productivity. Got it. A lot there to think about. One of the things that, uh, that I have seen as a topic of discussion multiple times in, in my career is 
How do we, and just would love your opinion on this, how do we do what you just said? We want to understand how to optimize the sales process, and we want to make sure that our opportunity, you know, deal velocity and that sort of thing is where it should be. And at the same time, I think you'd agree that we very much live in an experience economy. Customers are less and less willing to be put into any sort of process. And and so how do we how do we do the because I agree with you. How do we go about looking and getting those efficiencies while still aligning to the customer journey? Well, the customer journey should be met, in my opinion, through uh, the sales skills that our sales team um, represent us using. And, and if I think about the core skills involved in selling, they are to prospect, mm-hmm. qualify, to sell, to close, and to account panic. Those are, those are different skills. Um, and, and, and anyone that spent any time with sales teams over a uh, long period of time will understand that it's extraordinarily rare to find anybody who is exemplary in all of those areas. You find people that are really great at prospecting. Uh, normally, they're pretty good at qualifying as well. Maybe they have some difficulties selling and positioning value, but they're great at account management. And, and so um, I think the, the most important thing really is to think about those skills prospecting, qualifying, selling, closing, and account managing from an external perspective. As a customer, how do I want to be prospected to? And prospecting is actually a fairly, uh, fairly hot topic when we think about it. If we take the traditional cloud-based software approach that we've all seen for long periods of time, I'm going to make the assertion that it is effectively based in a model that was built by Oracle in the 1990s, which is essentially I'm going to uh, get indications that somebody could be interested in something as a result of a set of marketing interactions or people um, performing uh, interactions on the web or uh, responding to digital content. Having got that information, I'm then going to call them and I'm going to try and secure a meeting. Interestingly, of course, that model works. We've seen it work. We know it works. And there's a lot of work been done, certainly over the last, we'd say, 10 years to try and optimize that. But there is a fundamental question, and it really relates to the point you've just made, which is, that's great, but as as a customer, a potential customer, certainly, prospect, is that how I want to interact? And I don't believe in the majority of cases it now is. You read around uh, this particular subject, you uh, look at the latest CEB study, Gartner study, um, it's going to tell you that somewhere between 60 and 80% of a decision has already been made by the time that uh, a first sales call has taken place. 
So if we hear that, and then the first interaction you have is with someone who's really obsessed about just trying to get a meeting with you, mm-hmm. it, that's kind of strange. It's odd because as a, as a buyer, effectively, I want to educate myself. That's the, the route I'm taking. I want to go and educate myself. I want to learn a lot of things. I want to be given the ability to get at least halfway there, what the studies are telling us, before interacting with someone. So do you, by as soon as you see someone on your website, instantly going to them, do you potentially actually have the opposite effect and dissuade them from wanting to continue a conversation with you? I'm not, I'm not saying you do, but there's a, there's a concern that you could have an unintended effect. Right. So should we really, again, from an enablement perspective, be thinking around what we do to prospect, but doing that almost from an educational point of view. How do I help educate my prospect? How do I make that education easy? Is there guided education? I'm sorry, Paul, you've picked on a, 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 one of my pet topics. <laughs> that reason. was not a coincidence, but, my friend. <laughs> but fundamentally, um, the, the real point that I'm trying to make is I think we should really be thinking around our skills, those skills of prospecting, qualifying, selling, closing, and account managing, mm-hmm. four skills in the sales organization, but with that external viewpoint. And you can, again, you could apply a similar lens to the one I've just spoken about for prospecting mm-hmm. for qualifying. We've spent years talking around um, when you sell you must position value, value-based selling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been many different approaches, but all of that is, of course, about trying to make sure that you perform that task with the customer, with the prospect in mind. Uh, so I think that's the most, most important topic here. And I think we'd both agree the ultimate outcome of that discovery and prospecting process is to help the customer at least have the genesis of a vision of how they can do things better or differently using some combination, the capabilities that the salesperson happens to sell. It really doesn't matter what we think about our product, right? It's our job to help them see it for themselves, which is a lot harder than just telling people things. So it it is in the the days of being able to rock up with a set of slides Mm -hmm. and a case study that, that those are, I believe certainly in most industries, long gone. Uh, it would be if that's how you showed up for your first meeting with me. So <laughs> that's all I can speak to. So, so you talked about five core areas at the beginning, and, and you've just been talking about the skills, prospect, qualify, so, et cetera. How else should we be thinking about operations and enablement with those other pillars? I'd actually now like to slightly reverse things. Okay. Start from sales enablement. Okay. Perspective. As you've said, whilst I've spent my career really in sales operations, normally sales operations plus another thing, I've also held, and in fact, I still do have responsibility for sales enablement. When I think about what sales enablement, from my perspective, the focus should really be on, if we accept the focus should be on trying to drive sales productivity, without 
many people would argue about, then certainly from my experience, I, I like to think about um, sales enablement really performing three separate areas, or there being three pillars, if you will. And you can guess I'm a numbers guy because everything is five and three, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, I've spoken about skills. So the sales team, we need to evaluate the sales team to know that the skills that we have are appropriate for the market that we're selling into. And we've spoken about those skills, prospecting, qualifying, selling, closing, and account management. Second area is the product. And making sure that our sales team can represent our proposition in the right way is, of course, completely essential. But it, again, I, I'm gonna, it's, what I'm going to say is very, very obvious. But I'm sure all of us have bumped into it, and in some cases, possibly even still continue to, which is when we talk about product and we talk to product marketing and product management, what we are often very good at is understanding why someone should do anything. What they're not always so sharp on is delivering a clear message about why someone should want to do that thing with us. And so I see sales enablement as having a really formative role in challenging our products organization to say, it's great, the stuff you've given me is great, and it helps me, it will help our prospects understand and quantify the nature of the problem they may be having. But it's not helping me understand why my thing should be considered above someone else's thing. So that's another key area and a key driver. I look to sales enablement to help us um, provide and sharpen within the organization. And last one, I do genuinely mean, by no means least, the processes. And it sounds pretty dull until you really need to get an order form out and you don't know which buttons to press. And it's 9.30 on a Friday night and you can't reach the people that you need. Probably so, the end of the quarter too, be, right? So Probably the end of the quarter, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of that joy, that joy of stuff we, we tend to bump into um, every once in a while. So what, what I'm really saying is, for, for me, sales enablement has a critical role to make sure our skills are appropriate to the market. I've bought you census with that already. The product, our product enablement, really hits the mark in terms of positioning us correctly, not just why you should do anything, but why you should do it with us. And the processes, core processes, slimmed down, skinned down as much as possible. But what are the core buttons I need to press to keep my manager happy? Make sure my forecast is submitted. Actually, most importantly, I can get paperwork out that is approved, that has been through the right and diligent set of reviews, and with confidence, I can go to a customer to be able to close a deal. So that those, if I if I think about the world from a sales enablement perspective, mm-hmm. that to me, those are the three pillars that I tend to look at, and beyond that. I actually would always recommend trying to take the most balanced view across those three pillars. 
really easy to think, if only I could fix sales skills, my productivity is going to go through the roof. And you obsess about sales skills, you potentially somewhat ignore the product and the process, and you will suffer. So it's actually, as, as leaders in sales enablement, we have a duty of care, I believe, to our organization to make sure that we are considering the skills, the product, and the process as being equal pillars, and we will make sure that we progress all of those uh, very regularly, certainly on a quarterly basis in terms of enablement and understanding. You know, you, as you were talking about process, it occurred to me that people often roll their eyes when the topic of process comes up. But at the same time, if there's a bigger walk of shame that a salesperson can do than to have to take back paperwork that's been submitted to the customer because it wasn't properly vetted, they didn't follow the process, I don't know what a bigger walk of shame would be. So, it's, uh, and, well, it and, can be more serious yeah. than that, of course, because yeah. in, in many of our organizations, we're publicly quoted. We have the joy of Sarbanes-Oxley. Mm-hmm. We have very specific processes we have to follow. And in, in some of these organizations, some of our organizations, they're very, there's a rules-based culture that is there when it comes to approval. And the walk of shame personally to say, actually, I now need to take this back is bad enough. Walk of shame going home to your family where you've lost your job mm. because you've done the wrong thing. And frankly, there's um, uh, little consideration. In fact, there can't be now um, based on some of the rulings that we have. Is It's pretty severe. So um, the process I see very much as <laughs> keep me out of trouble with my boss, mm-hmm. but also keep kind of keep me employed, keep in in very um, colorful terms, keep me out of jail. No one's going to jail. Right. Fundamentally, you get the point. I do. Thank you. This has been great. I always like to end these sessions asking you to look back on your career. And my question is, what is the the number one thing that you wish you'd understood better when you're starting your career that you are, you know, now is, is a big part of, of how you're successful? There's a lot. How long do you have? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the hardest lessons for me to learn, bearing in mind I'm a numbers guy and the world is black and white and all of these wonderful things, right? But we form to every stereotype under the sun um, that everyone would think of um, themselves. Well, this person being regrettably positive. Having that particular mindset limited my ability to see power of clients, power of work finding like-minded people and being able to work with them to achieve what you needed to achieve. I think, in all honesty, I was too obsessed by hitting my own specific objectives rather than lifting my head a little bit thinking much more widely about the good of the organization and then pushing to make sure I worked with people who had also maybe um, had the ability or, or, or a moment to do that to be able to drive a better outcome. And I, I will come back and I will talk about the product 
just as we did a moment ago, as being a classic example of that. You know, it's, it's all very easy to say, I need content, I need content. You get the content, you drive the content out, and nothing really changes. Nothing really changes because you haven't answered a fundamental question. And that's why I was saying I think it is really the role of self-enablement in that sense to be able to call out where things aren't meeting uh, perhaps uh, a standard that we understand. And yeah, early in my career, I think I was just way too focused on getting the things off my to-do list, getting stuff out the door, getting it done, and then slightly scratching my head afterwards as to why maybe we weren't seeing the results <laughs> that I would have expected. Being honest, if I even thought that far, or was I even still too focused on getting stuff off my then current leader? So that, that's what I would I'd give myself to turn talking to. Thank you, Mark. We really appreciate the time that you've spent with us here today. And uh, maybe we'll have you back to tell some cautionary tales. I think I might have heard a few of those in the background, some of what you're talking about. I've really enjoyed my time with you. I, I hope it's of value and interest to people. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn and we can connect in a, a bunch of different ways. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. We've been speaking with Mark Fellows, the head of sales operation for Scandit. We've been talking about sales operations and sales enablement and the way to optimize how we work together to achieve sales productivity, which should be all of our collective goal. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll join next time for another episode of Stories from the Trenches. Until then, happy selling. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org.